What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I think we're season three, episode five, I believe, in 2022. We're brought to you today and every day by our good friends and partners and sponsors at Scratchpad. Congrats on your Series B, as well as Sendoso. Check out the Surf and Sales Summit. We're sold out in May. We have some spots available in November still, surfandsales.com. Today, I'm here with my good friend, as always, and co-host Richard Harris. How's it going, Richard? Very good. I'm excited for this conversation because be a little. You got bit... energy left after this training you just did? Yeah, I am. I got I got plenty of energy, but that you know that's why you're here. Good. You had some green tea or something caffeinated? I shot out of a cannon. Yeah. All right. All right. Good. Well, we're here today with Jason Lopez, who's the first time director of sales at a uh, little company called Journey. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. Yeah. I want to give a little context on this one. Uh, when we do our surf and sales event, one of the things we do is this great little spot we call the Crow's Nest. And everybody who comes to surf and sales, if they want, we'll sit down with them, you know, Scott, Jeff, and I, and just have a conversation about life, career, whatever it is they want to talk about and, um, and you know, give advice. They can take it or not take it. Uh, but they're Part of what makes surf and sales really fun is it's it's meant to be a personal, intimate conversation. I posted something on LinkedIn to see if somebody wanted to do this and record it, and Jason responded. So, Jason, welcome to the first ever surf and sales crow's nest podcast edition. So, oh man, I'm a pioneer. I love yeah. that. You are a pioneer. Yeah, get, I like that. Get ready to get vulnerable. Uh, this one also is a little different. So because we tend to let you ask a lot of questions in terms of what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish. You're a first-time director of sales. Uh, just for a little bit of context, how long have you been in sales? What roles have you had? Just so people understand as we have this conversation where you're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in sales for going on 14 years now. Started in banking, retail sales. Um, did that for about seven years. Um, retail banking and business banking. Sold medic, uh, credit card processing as well for a while. Um, and then kind of really just hated <laughs> the corporate aspect of uh, like corporate life. Um, you know, getting passed up for promotions, you know, because someone else had more tenure or was just with the company for longer, or, you know, because I was 24 years old and still perceived as like green behind the ears, um, you know, and made a switch transition into tech sales um, and kind of the whole SaaS world and really glad that I did now in 2022, because it's, I don't think there's ever been a time, a better time to be in, in a, you know, in tech sales. Um, but I've held roles as an in individual contributor, uh, team lead, um, and now director of sales here at journey. Got it. Got it. So, you know, first thing I'm going to say, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile. If you hate the corporate world, get the tie picture off your profile yeah that's the first thing so yeah that's uh, a good point you know like like in, in all honesty i maybe i'll here sit right there i'm gonna take a picture of you for those of you who don't know he's got a very casual comfortable look and he's got this really cool neon sign that says hustle yeah, rich richard is currently acting as your professional photographer to yeah, which is not a good sign by the way so no i was talking literally last week with my wife about getting new headshots because you know, my current one, to your point, Richard, I have a tie, you know, shirt and tie. I don't have quite the beard that I have now. Um, yeah, I need, I need a new photo, definitely. So I wouldn't get a headshot. I'd get that with the, like, Scott, what do you think? Do you like the hustle thing behind him? 
Yeah, I think it's great. It's personal. I think, you should, I think somebody's I think somebody's profile on LinkedIn should be an accurate representation of who they are as a person and not some canned stock photo that you might that you might find that where somebody's, you know, dressed fancier than normal or whatever. Like, you know, my my picture is a selfie that I took on the lake where I live with a yeah. backwards hat. Right. Like that's kind of just who I am, I guess. Right. So, so, yeah. so Jason, what made you want to come on here? Like you, you know, I, I put out this thing of, Hey, we'll answer questions and give advice and life and career advice. Let's just start there. Anything in particular on top of mind? Yeah. I mean, a couple of things. I mean, I'm, you know, been going to TNS for a while now, a uh, member of Scott's Patreon. And so just the opportunity to come on and chat with you guys seemed like incredible. I'm, I don't know. I imagine you probably had thousands of people. And if I'm wrong, then, you know, all those people that follow you guys on LinkedIn are crazy. <laughs> um, you know, but also I kind of made a commitment to myself this year. I want to go on at least six podcasts this year. Sales podcasts seemed, you know, like it would be right up my alley. Um, going to have a stronger focus on like hospitality podcasts as well, but um, just kind of putting myself out there, man, trying to put myself out of my comfort zone, you know, for what, for what, to... pur- for what purpose? I love the goal that you set six podcasts this year, once every two months. Yep. It's a good, it's a good number, but it's not like too heavy where it's going to be disruptive to your schedule. Right. But like to what end, what's the purpose of that particular goal? You want to put yourself out there because why? Yeah. Uh, I, I want just candidly, I mean, the simple answer is to build my personal brand. Good. Okay. Um, Great. You know, I think, yeah, for a lot of reasons, like for recruiting purposes or, you know, I mean, I love my company now, but you know, it's three months. I've been here three months. I'd be crazy to think like I'm going to work here my entire career or life. <laughs> um, so for a lot of reasons, you know, building up my own personal brand and network, um, yeah. Yeah. Without, let me let me push him on this, Richard, a little bit. Go, go for it. Go for it. What what other reasons might there be to go on to podcasts and have these conversations other than than brand building, networking, recruiting? All of those are good answers, but what other reasons might there be? In this particular podcast, um, learning, just education, you know, exchange of ideas. Um I think is, is a, you know, good reason. Um, I mean, yeah, those are, those are my biggest reasons. What about the opportunity to present your own ideas and philosophies and thoughts on things in a public forum and kind of refine, you know, your messaging or like what you're all about. So the first time you go on a podcast, Maybe you ramble like mad, but by the hundredth time you're on the podcast, you've got your messaging like short and tight, right? And that could potentially become a calling card to who you are as a salesperson and a sales leader. Like this is, this is my philosophy, you know, in a 45 minute episode or a 30 minute episode or whatever food, food for thought there. Okay. Go ahead, Richard. Appreciate that. So when you are, looking at what you want to accomplish, right? What are your sort of short and long-term goals, right? In terms of your life, in terms of your career, what do you, what do you want to do when you grow up? Um, well, I just want to travel, man. Honestly, I just want to travel a lot, um, see the world, you know, that's on a personal note. Um, professionally, short-term goals, 
Um, I really, you know, want to crush my current role, um, aspiring to land a VP sales role within the next, you know, three years is my goal. Um, would love for it to be with my current company. I know that that's uh, unrealistic. <laughs> I know that a lot of directors get layered. I've had this conversation uh, actually with Scott and Amy on TNS. Um, so, you know, expectations are not, are, are, that, those aren't my expectations, but that would be, you know, um, what I would be shooting for. Uh, but just in the, you know, in the short term, VP sales, and then in the long term, more five to 10 years, I would say uh, I would really like to get involved with more startups, um, investing kind of the stuff that you guys are doing, um, you know, and just, just helping other businesses get off, the get off the ground, refine their go-to-market strategy, refine their messaging, um, that kind of thing. Okay, so, so what is the time horizon in your mind that you want to accomplish all of this, or, or maybe a better question is what is the time horizon to get to what sounds like your ultimate goal, which is just traveling. And then the time horizon before that, which is maybe when you do, you cut the W2 and you do some of this stuff on your own. And then what is your time horizon to become a VP? So I'm trying to chunk up these different segments of your career here. Yeah, absolutely. So time, time horizon or, you know, what I would say for VP would be, you know, in the next three years, that would be my goal. Um, in the next five to eight, I would say cut the W2. Okay, so let's pause there for a second. Okay, so you're going to give yourself three years from now to become a VP of sales, right? Yes. That's what you said. Okay, so then you said five to eight years more, I think as a VP. So if it's five to eight years out as a VP, let's say you nail it and you do two four-year stints and they're mm -hmm. both they're both super successful or even moderately successful. That's a pretty good look, don't you think, Richard? And, and a good amount of credibility that someone might have. You, you were a VP of sales twice. You were there for four years, both times. You did quite well. That's pretty good credibility to maybe go out on your own and do this more at scale for a lot of different people. Do you agree? It might be too much, right? Like how many VPs? What do you mean too much? Yeah. Well, how many VPs of sales last four years? Almost none. Okay. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. step one. Yeah. Okay. Maybe he has, maybe he has three gigs and they all last two and a half years. Right. Yeah. But I also think, and, and, you know, I mean, Scott, I think this is what we coach everybody to is, you have value right now, Jason. You could add value as a new director of sales. And, you know, we didn't talk about, you know, your approach to your brand, but sharing mistakes or thoughts or experiences. And you could build that brand and mm -hmm. alongside all these other things so that, yeah, it looks good if you're a VP of sales to go be a consultant and do those things, but it's not necessarily required. Like, you know, like, I don't know, I don't know if I've ever said, you know, my VP of sales role was uh, at a very small company um, that sold computer locks, right? Like nothing major. And then everything else I had was director of sales. But I started early sort of just commenting and writing shit on LinkedIn, you know? Yeah. And so 
one, I think, first of all, it's a great goal. And I do think it, it, it's helpful. I, there's financial gains to getting to that VP level, right? Whether it's an equity play, which is a whole other discussion or, you know, straight up cash, you know, salary and more money. And, you know, you, you mentioned you have a wife. I don't know if you have kids yet. You know, there, there's some life shit. Well, he's also, you're also potentially raising your price by the time you do go out on your own. Right. Which I think is pretty important. Yeah. So, so anyway, so I don't know that you need to do eight years as a VP of sales to go out. That's, that's, I don't know that, I don't know, I don't know that he needs to, but it won't hurt. In doing so, assuming you're, you do well in those VP of sales roles, you're really like building a hell of a resume, you know, full of credibility. Yes. Um, giving yourself a chance for liquidity events, building a massive network of people that you've worked with and hired and all this kind of stuff and raising your price when you do go out on your own. Right. Yep. Hey, Scott, give also give him the advice of why it shouldn't be two at four years each. What if it was four at two years each? What's the value of that? The diversification. I don't know that I would tell him it shouldn't be two gigs at four years each. I mean, if you can pull that off, then more power to you. Um, And you could potentially get really big win at each of those things. However, if there was an advantage to doing four gigs at two years, you're selling different products, getting exposure to different types of sales cycles and price points. You might need different structures. So you, Let's say you build an inside sales team the first time, an outside sales team the next time, an SDR AE model the next time. You know what I'm saying? Like, so you could get experience doing lots of different types of things. Presumably, you have a larger network of people that you've worked alongside, potentially in, in four gigs versus two. Although if those four gigs are all super small companies and the, the two gigs for four years become larger companies, maybe the argument dissipates a little bit. But there's that, there's that possibility. Um, and then, you know, from an equity perspective, like, yes, it's a different way to play roulette, right? So rather than putting all your chips on, you know, black number five, yep. right now you're covering four different numbers on the board, you know, and you, you, you give yourself a better chance for some type of, uh, you know, some type of win, right? That could be, an advantage, Richard. That was the one I was waiting for, for you, you know, is that we already know that the average VP of sales doesn't last four years. Yep. And, and, and if you can find one and it works, then hallelujah, right? Because you should get a whole lot more, you know, of your equity out of it. It should be a big win, all those things. Yep. But it's also okay to have the mindset of, well, maybe it is four at you know, three at two and a half years or four at two years each, and you diversify your opportunity for a win. And maybe yeah. two of them become a win or three of them become a win. Scott, you've been a six-time VP of sales, right? Mm-hmm. Right. How many of them? Uh, yeah. Had, well, yeah. Yeah. How many of them had a successful exit where you actually got something? Where I actually got something. Two. Right. So. Two. Yeah. yeah. So you might. So that being said, you might want to think about having three. Right. Yeah. One so that one pounds out. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I'm batting. I'm batting three thirty three. I'm in the Hall of Fame, Richard. Yes. Yeah, man. Yes. 
So unlike Barry Bonds, I'm in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So, which is a whole other discussion. All right. So Jason, we, we, we dug in deep on you on that one. We have pontificated. Well, we, we yeah. stopped short though. We didn't get to a place of what's his time horizon oh. for traveling all over. Oh, the that's world. right. Yeah. 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 So I would, I would, I would imagine right around the time that I cut the W2 uh, would be like when I would want to start traveling much more heavily. Um I travel a lot now, just like a full disclosure. I take a, at least six trips a year, but I would want to take like one a month. Um, so yeah, okay. so that, that's probably within the next 10 years. Okay, so so that's, that's doable alongside when you start working on your own. I was thinking yeah. of it more in terms of like, that's all I want to do. I don't want to work anymore. That's just like my retirement. Uh, and so I was, no, I don't think I was okay, okay. Okay. I don't think I'll ever he's not, not work. He's not dreaming like you, Scott, where we have surfing sales every week, right? And our I don't know. He just said he wants to go on one trip a month. Right. 12 months. So, Seems like I'm, a, a, I'm in hospitality though. So you know I can travel and work. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so what what other kind of questions do you want to ask? What you, you come to us. Like we can we can keep just throwing shit at you and we could shoot all over you all day long. We're very good at it. <laughs> But, yeah, uh, I, so I had, um, so I completely forgot about the format about, uh, you know, this that you posted, Richard. So yeah. I came into this expecting just a regular format of surf and sales. I have a few questions we can kind of dive into. Yeah, go for it. Um, really quick, Scott mentioned something about, you know, putting everything on black number five. Uh, just a quick story. A couple of years, well, no, it was 10 years ago now at this point. It was like our third anniversary. My wife and I went to uh, Vegas. And, you know, we're out, you know, I don't know, I was in my 20s. We're out one of the nightclubs partying around 4 or 5 a.m. We stumble out of one of these nightclubs. And, of course, they have the perfect setup, all of the tables, you know, roulette tables, blackjack tables. Or walking by one of the roulette tables that has a streak of, like, six red numbers. And I have $100 chip left. And I'm like, screw it. I'm putting it on black 15. Put it down on black 15. Dealer throws the ball. Well, not, I don't know what they're called. He throws the little roulette ball. Um, as he's waving his hand, like no more bets, my wife is like, no, you're crazy. You can't put $100 on black 15. She takes it off and puts it on black. And I'll give you, what is it? 33 to one odds to take a guess yes. at what, <laughs> what it landed oh on. Oh my God. I feel sick to my stomach already. Yeah. Black 15. I was like, no. dude, that would have paid for my whole trip. Right. Oh my God. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Just a quick so story that you kind of like triggered in my mind. So are you, let me ask you, let me ask you this. Are you... I don't mean the actual act of it, but are you a risk taker gambler by nature? Um, I am not risk averse, if that's what you're asking. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Would you, Scott and I played this game, would you get into a shark tank with, in a shark cage? Yeah. It's on, my, it's on my bucket list. So actually, I went to um, Australia and we you know, dove the Great Barrier Reef and stuff. Um, I would totally like South Africa is on my list and I would totally go cage diving with sharks. I've gone diving. I mean, not great whites, but I've gone diving with sharks without a cage. Scott's sitting here for those who can't see like in shock and awe because we played this game in Costa Rica. So, um, so talk a little bit more about like, how did you even decide you wanted to be in sales? Like, how did you like even, you know, or was it, I'm going to go into business. So I went to the banks and that's where I started. And then what made you transition? Yeah, I wanted to study finance. And I said, well, I initially started studying finance and I had, um, you know, an ex-girlfriend at the time that had a, a family member that worked at Wachovia. 
one of the one of the, you know the banks that was bought out by Wells Fargo many years ago. Yeah, I and, did well in that stock. That was a good oh, one. Oh, okay, nice. <laughs> um, well, she you know she got me a job as a teller um, back then. Just I was you know fresh out of high school and just needed a job. Just as I was you know part time job as I was going to college. Um, what they don't tell you when you are applying for a job as a teller is that you are expected to sell. You're kind of like an SDR for the bankers. You're expected to sell bank accounts, credit cards, debit cards, online banking, all of this stuff to people coming in to make deposits, cash checks, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and I hated that. I, I did not want to be in sales. Like I had no interest whatsoever being in sales. Um, didn't like talking to people. I still consider myself an introvert um, and just kind of off topic here. If you have not read the book quiet by Susan Cain, uh, very, very powerful book. I would recommend to anyone that considers himself an introvert. Um, but anyway, I mean, I just, you know, kind of grew from there. I, I, I wound up, you know, embracing what I needed to do. Um, I was really good at the service side, had perfect scores on, you know, all my service and everything, but you know, was receptive to coaching, improved my numbers, um, made the referrals to the bankers, um, eventually was promoted to banker, a personal banker, then business banker, then merchant, merchant processing. Um, but I never wanted to be in sales. Um, I just kind of landed in it. And then because I am very competitive as a person and I just don't like being bad at things, <laughs> have a thirst for hunger, um, you know, I just continue to improve the skills that I need or that I needed even to this day, I'm still continuing to improve those skills. Um, and that's just kind of, you know, how I fell into sales, but I never really wanted to be in sales. Um, the earning potential has kept me around. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, you know, long yeah. way to answer to your question, Richard. The, the dichotomy of somebody who never really thought that they would be in sales or wanted to be in sales and his sign on the back in neon on the wall that says hustle right above a serene calming fish tank is not lost on me, Richard. I, I get it. He, he's built a very smart environment for his success, which matters. That's cool. It's cool. So what kind of, what kind of things are you, you know, your first time director of sales, right? What kind yeah. of things what kind of questions do you have around that? Like, what are you running into as a challenge? Um, maybe we could offer some support there. Yeah. So some of the, um, you know, I guess, so one of the, I had a couple of questions prepared, prepared for you guys. So assuming that you have, you know, you, you have product market fit, you have a solid go-to market strategy. What are the first, what's like the top, you know, one or two things you absolutely are critical that you need to nail uh, within, you know, the first three to six months. As a director of sales. As a director of sales. How big are you team right now? Yeah. Uh, we are three. Okay. Scott, you want to go first? I think I know your answer. And, and we have outsourced SDRs. You have outsourced SDRs. Okay. Um, the first thing that you need to do is accurately define your ICP and your buyer per personas. And then lock in and write down the messaging. So whatever your sales script is, whatever your demo is, however you want to handle objections, document everything basically. And that's what people don't do at early stages in sales orgs. They keep everything siloed away in their head. Um, and you know, it's impossible to share it with everybody. There's no single source of truth. So document everything, get it out of your head and onto paper. 
then do the actual work yourself. You need to be the one to make calls, close deals, build pipeline, all that stuff. So yep. you have expertise and experience dealing with your buyer and the team believes in you and you get buy-in there from everybody. So those are the first couple of things that I would focus on. It's just, it's like building everything out, the foundation, all the, all the playbook kind of stuff. And then you ex you be the one to execute along with the couple reps that you have. Mm -hmm. That's encompasses plenty in the first like 60 to 90 days. What do you think? Rich? Yeah. yeah. I was, I was curious as to what you thought that timeline was because so often we come in as a director of sales and we spend all this time, you know, first writing the playbook, you know, and we so focus mm -hmm. on, we're not even talking to customers. Like that's probably, you know, I know that's one of the mistakes I made early on thinking that, oh, now I'm in management. I just need to go and build these things. I don't have to talk to people anymore. Right. And, uh, and certainly that limited my, some of my scope, uh, but I learned a lot from that. So just out of curiosity, real quick, average deal size, sales cycle. Um, sales cycle is interesting. It's about 60 to 90 days right now. Okay. Um, more on the 90 day end. Okay. Um, Can you share a deal? You know, size? We, we just started up. So it, I mean, it varies. They, you know, deals can be 40, 50,000 ARR all the way up to like four or 500,000 ARR right now. Okay. So the size of the client. Those, those yeah, are yeah, good, healthy yeah. deals. Okay. Very, very healthy deals. Um, we're targeting more of the lower end because we just feel like they're the lower hanging fruit, um, you know, easier. Well, um, when it, one of the things that, that is smart as far as targeting the lower end goes, this is a chance for you to practice and kind of refine your pitch and, and refine your sales process and refine your onboarding experience and making sure customers are, you know, happy and engaged and adopting the product. It's also a chance for you to get product feedback at the low end of the market. The users that you get, they'll probably break the product. So they <laughs> debug it like crazy. And so you want to do all those things often at the lower end of the market before you go to the top end. Is if you start at the top end and you shank some of this stuff, you might not get another AB for, you know, a year, two years, maybe never, depending on how bad you shank it, right? So I think starting at the low end and using that as validation and then slowly working your way uh, up market is a good is a good strategy. How much are you, yeah. how much are you, you know, per Scott's advice, how much are you actually selling and closing to customers? Um, I mean, I'm on calls every day. I'm actively, so I carry a bag. You do. Okay. That's yep. great. And, yep. and to Scott's point, Perfect. that builds all the trust with your team It builds it to your upper management. Um, that is how you, you know, yes, sometimes you'll get topped off by a new VP of sales, but um, that's how you'll get there because you will carry that number with you. So, um, Scott, you know, I know one of your favorite things is to get ops as soon as possible, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a sales ops yet, Jason? No, I'm an assistant sales director who I'm trying to form into kind of a sales ops type of role. And actually Scott inspired me to, to start kind of handing some of this stuff off with, with, uh, you know, I've been following, you know, since you hired JM and, and all of that, um, and so I've, I'm, you know, trying to pass off as much as I can on our CRM 
um, you know, functionality and, you know, just kind of maintaining that, uh, documenting things, um, you know, that kind of stuff. I spent actually the first, I don't know, two weeks building out our CRM and tech stack. And then I spent, I don't know, the last two weeks also just doing it again because we switched CRMs. So yeah, that's, that's, that's work that you ideally don't want to be doing. Right. A couple of weeks that you already did and a couple of weeks more that you're about to do because you switched or whatever, like that's a month's worth of lost time and energy and progress. Right. Yep. So there's nothing you can do about it now in this particular gig, but when and if the time comes when you go to your next gig and you're building something from scratch, don't get yourself in the weeds there. Don't yep. be the yep. one behind the wheel, you know, building out the CRM and all this kind of stuff. You've got to lobby and, and, and successfully get, a resource who knows how to do all that. And I understand the idea of like taking somebody and kind of trying to mold them and push them that particular way. But guess what? What does that take that is your worst enemy in a, in a early stage startup? Oh, my time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Time. It takes time. So yeah. while that person's learning all sorts of things, if we hired somebody else like a JM who knew what to do straight away, bang, off she goes, shot out of a cannon. <laughs> we're a little, you know, farther ahead of the game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Scott, just out of curiosity, you know, he's been there 90 days. Has he waited too long to go after an ops person? No, he, he, like? no, 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 no. He has, I mean, yes, he's waited. Let me rephrase. Yes, he's waited too long. There's nothing he can do about that, though. Right. So now he should try to go after somebody who knows what they're doing. And this person he's trying to mold, if anything, that person could become, a, you know, a junior kind of, analyst ops kind of person, but you really need somebody there who's got some chops and who's been there and done that before and is a real partner for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you should be able to successfully lobby to get that budget. If the reps that you have are producing and you're producing and it's like, you basically have data to, to show, I figured this thing out. Right. We've cracked the code. This is working in order for it to scale further. Here's the resources that I need and why. And this is what they'll allow me to do. That's the argument that you need to be able to articulate. Are you ready yep. to go have that conversation or have you had it internally yet, Jason? Um, I, we haven't had that conversation. I think, I think we probably we'll be ready to have that conversation in the next month or two um why yeah. a month or two um so i i mean i spent the first the first couple of months doing a lot of like i don't want to i don't want to say that everything was kind of a mess but there was no structure to anything that's so not spent, that's a startup that's not a mess yeah it's just the way it yeah, is so, like that there's exactly. nothing negative about that right so i spent well, a lot of time right. building so what i'm hearing him not say richard yes is that they're not closing deals and locking in enough demos and pipeline where he comfortably can say, we've got this shit figured out. Therefore, if he goes to have that argument, he might lose the argument. So he's not going like to, to stand on yet. No, he's right. not going to have it until he's in a position <laughs> of strength. Is, is that it, Jason? Exactly. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Exactly. All right. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I have it written on my forehead here. Yeah, no, listen, we, um, you know, we were working on building systems, processes and cracking the code to Scott's point and the deals are starting to come in. This month alone, I think we sold 
we sold the biggest deal ever and then we broke that record. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're taking the right steps. We're doing the right things. Um, it's just, you know, need to be in that position of power like Scott. Um, I would, you know, I would tell you, I would tell you to draw a line in the sand as the goal and define that. Right. So whether it, cause you've already closed deals and you just said you closed the biggest deals. So some people might be like, you're already in a position of strength. Dude. That's where I, my head is. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. So you, you, it's arguable that you're being overly cautious, but let's just say that you're not. So what you should do is say, okay, when everybody on my team hits quota or mm-hmm. when everybody on my team has sold 10 deals a piece, or when we have sold a grand total of 25 deals as a company, or when we have a million dollars of ARR, this is, you know, when I'm going to go make this, this case, right? So yep. set a goal for yourself and a timeline. So, so it's not so ambiguous and it's more real, right? Because keep in mind, even when you, when you go to have that argument, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win straight away. Right. If you do win, you still got to go recruit this person. Mm-hmm. And then when you successfully recruit them, you still got to onboard them a little bit. So there's a, there's a, there's a lag, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really good advice actually. And I had not, I had not thought of just kind of set, just like you said, just draw a line in the sand for yourself. Um, you know, and at that point, that's when, you know, ideally I should have likes to stand on. Um, and be able to, you know, present my case. Why, I need, like you said earlier, why I need this person, what it's going to allow me to do, what it's going to allow the team to do. So, so what do you, so set that goal. What's your goal going to be? What do you want? Um, man, it's a good question. Let's see. I am going to set a goal of, yeah, I think when we hit 1 million ARR this year, uh, which won't, won't be too long. That'll be like maybe next month. Um, I'll go ahead and have that conversation. Yeah. So, okay. So let me push you then with this, with this timeline and, and this, and this plan, if you will. Okay. So mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're going to hit the number next month. So you need to have the argument slash discussion could be very peaceful, I suppose could be successful, but it also could be an argument. Um, <laughs> you're going to have this conversation by early March, hopefully at the latest, right? Mm-hmm. So March becomes your recruiting month for that person. And April, the start of Q2, is when ideally you have a butt in a seat and they're onboarded, right? Yeah. I want you to just mentally kind of start to assimilate that timeline. Yeah. Does that freak you out? No, no, actually I love this exercise because I haven't, I haven't thought of it in this way. And, and it. Well, what you're building, what you're building out now is a, is a bit of a sales forecast and, and, and a sales plan and you're kind of capacity planning. Right. So that will cook. You do that. That allows you to, you know, get a lot more, you can codify everything a lot more. They can help with lead flow, lead routing, reporting, all this stuff frees you up to manage more reps. If those two reps are, have hit a million in ARR, you could probably time the onboarding of the ops person with adding a couple more reps. 
Because a yeah. lot of the training and onboarding stuff is going to be repetitive. So if you're going to train one person, you might as well train three or four, right? You got to train them about the company. You got to train them about the product. You got to train them about the industry that you're in potentially. All of those things are, you know, um, the same regardless of somebody's job function and even department, right? Yeah. And now you might be saying in your capacity planning and, and your forecasting to your boss, you might say, hey, listen, this is what's going to happen. We're going to hit a million bucks in ARR in February. I'm going to come to you and say, I need a head of sales ops, which is like a director level, my level kind of senior person. Here's why. Here's what they're going to do. Here's going to be the impact of those people. I'm going to time that with taking our team from two AEs to five AEs. So I'm going to add three more reps in there. And we're going to start April with a team of five AEs, a RevOps person and me. And then bank now set goals for Q2 and potentially into Q3 and say to start Q3 or start Q4, like these are the heads that I'm going to need. This is the tool I might need. Now you're building out an annual kind of plan. Yeah. Right. And the vision starts to become clearer. Absolutely. And, and you're dictating it and, and demonstrating that you're thinking strategically rather than just doing what you're doing and waiting for your CEO or boss to be like, yeah, we should probably hire more people, Jason. Don't you think, or, you know, you see the difference? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, lo I love, I love the, the way that you, um, you know, just kind of broke it down step-by-step step, the way, like it, it sounds so simple when you say it that way. <laughs> um, well, it's simple yeah. to say it, you know, the, it's the doing of it all that is complicated sometimes. <laughs> it's the yes. discipline and the focus, which is where I struggle. So that's, you know, but I, I got it. So I was, I was sitting here going, Scott's going to send Jason an invoice for this. <laughs> or maybe he's going to send it to Journey. He's going to send Journey an invoice and say, you owe me. Um, <laughs> or or uh, Scott's, I mean, Scott's going to be like, give me this recording, Richard. I'm going to turn this into an ebook. This is how you do it. So, <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take this episode and just gonna send it to uh, Jason's CEO, right? And just say, hey, you got the right guy in place, but he needs a little guidance, maybe. Yeah, he'll, he'll <laughs> no, love it, I would I never, him. I would never do that. Jason's gonna take well, this episode and run with it himself and look like a fucking rock star. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, he'll love that, man. I bought I actually. So Scott, you sent me. I don't know if you remember. You sent me your book when you when you released it, and I read that. Um, it nice. helped a lot, but I bought him a copy because it was so helpful and I sent it to him. I don't know if he's finished it yet, but he, you know, he was getting through it and he, he liked it as well. Great. There you go. There yeah. you go. So one shift for you, let's say you're going to go out and you're going to go try and find this ops person. Mm -hmm. Do you even know what you're looking for? Uh -oh. do, you know to, do you know how uh -oh. to interview? Uh-oh. What I'm looking for is JM 2.0, I guess. <laughs> yeah that's that's a smart smart answer but also a cop-out in a way to avoid it yes yeah no i'm, I'm yeah i mean to scott's point earlier you, you kind of hit on this someone that really can get into the weeds of the systems and the process yeah, but how how do you know if they have that right because everybody can i can put linkedin will let me be anything i want to be right that's true so, that's true so um so i'm curious like what are the things that matter in your mind. And, you know, I know Scott's going to go on another diatribe, but I think it's worthy of a strong sales ops person. As you think about journey and you think about where you are at the moment. Yeah. 
So when I think about a strong sales ops person, I think of someone that has um, some kind of sales background, maybe not a ton, but enough to, to be able to get by. Um, Love that and agree, by the way. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if I, you, so what does that mean? We have does to that mean to... a year? Does that mean a year would, yeah. FDR, AE? Do you care? Just something? I, my personal, well, I mean, if it was an AE, I would have questions around maybe why are you coming off of an AE role for, you know, like a, a sales ops type of role. Um, but yeah, I would, I, would, I would, you know, it doesn't really matter if it's SDR, BDR, um, you know, just some kind of at least a year sales experience okay. um, so that I know that we can just speak the same language, right? Um, but more than anything, I'm looking for someone that can really get into the weeds that has, first of all, managed a CRM and a tech stack um, and that has done it consistently and hopefully has documented what they've done in the past because salespeople, I'm sure you guys know this, are like notoriously bad at keeping their CRMs up to date. Um, so Scott, I never, remind I never, everybody, Scott, remind I everybody, what kind of CRM do you have, Scott? I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't have one. You have an Excel sheet. That's oh yeah, that's it. That's right. Yeah. Exhibit A. Right. Exhibit okay. A, Jason. Exhibit <laughs> A. Good, good point that they, they can document stuff. What else? Yeah. So they have to be able to document stuff. And um, I would want some kind of uh, like technical capability there. Maybe some background as an analyst or um, some, some, some kind of technical uh, you know, background that would enable them to like build the reports I'm going to need and, and, you know, build out the CRM and integrate all the, all the tools we need and all of that kind of stuff. Scott, does this unicorn exist where someone's done a year of sales? And, oh, yeah. um, of course, of course it does. Right. Of course it does. But listen, I, uh, JM was a sales rep for a year. Then she was a sales manager for a year or so. Then she was an SDR manager for a couple years, then she moved into ops. And then, you know, so you're looking at five, almost six years of sales experience. I'm thinking my mm -hmm. other ops leader, uh, a woman by the name of Claire Morris, she was in customer success and then kind of uh, account management and then revenue generating in customer success and then moved into uh operations so you know not like outbounding sales but similar kind of stuff so upselling that, retention this kind of things and and just very close overall to the sales experience yeah. i think it's really important to have have somebody who understands what sales people go through yeah no i agree yeah. and the reason the reason i'm i was pushing there a little bit is you know jason you said well at least someone who's been in sdr Right. Which I hear that and I'm thinking, oh, they got six to 12 months, which isn't bad. Like, you're right. They have some level of sales experience. But what Scott's described is, you know, something really special. Right. Mm -hmm. Which I don't know if that if that's really maybe you were thinking what Scott was saying and just didn't articulate it. Or does that make you kind of go, oh, I should look for that kind of person? Oh, it, yeah. So definitely makes me think I should look for that kind of person and hope I can find that kind of person. Um, yeah, but but I would still I, I don't know that my 
just personal qualification would be, you know, that they need to have like five or six yeah. um, different sales gigs. Um, you know, everyone learns at their own pace. So as long as they've done the work at some point and they are, you know, well-versed in, 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 in sales, uh, to some capacity, like I said, that we can just speak the same language, then, yeah. you know, everybody, that, that would. Everybody earns, everybody learns at their own pace, Jason, but you need them to learn at your pace. <laughs> okay. That's true. Yep. Scott, what else should he, I know we're at, wow, we've flown by. I'm going to ask Scott for one more piece of advice to give to Jason on this topic. Uh, but a quick shout out to our sponsors of scratch pad and Sendoso for supporting surf and sales uh, by all means, folks go check out surf May is sold out. We got slots in November, although the first session in November only has a couple left. I think there's only two left. Yeah. So Jason, yeah, Jason, since you love to travel, like, you know, we expect you to register now. Um, I'm trying to get my CEO to come with me. Oh, so, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Don't, don't wait on them. Just book yours. <laughs> like, you don't need to wait on them. Uh, but Scott, what else? Only only because we're crunched for time. What are the other things, Scott, that Jason or someone else should look for as you're trying to find that good ops person? What are the other things that matter to you? I think the most important thing is somebody who's proactive rather than reactive. You want somebody who's doing work and then coming to you saying, hey, look what I just found. I just figured out by looking at this report that we suck at the following blah, 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 blah thought you should know that because you you might want to do something about it. What you don't need is somebody who just builds reports and then tells you nothing and gives you no insight. So you're looking for somebody who's proactively giving you insights that tell you what you need to work on in your coaching and what the reps need to to work on. That I can't understate that enough. Does that seem reasonable to you, Jason? Does that sound like stuff you would want? That absolutely sounds like stuff I would want because this guy does that right now. <laughs> so yeah, you're ready. You're ready to get that stuff over. All right, cool. Yeah, time for one more question. If you got one, Jason. Otherwise, we'll we'll wrap it up. Um, I do. Yeah. So this one is not a little bit, you know, not a serious note here. Um, I was listening to your podcast with Alexis Scott, and you know, she asked you about who your most surprising guest was. And I think you both agreed that you were surprised about someone that, that you had on that you guys thought was, you know, a little bit, uh, dull, dull. <laughs> and, um, but you were surprised about the number of downloads. Mm-hmm. And so my question to you both is, would either one of you be okay with being perceived or coming off as super boring? If it means that your podcast, maybe because your counterpart or whatever, for whatever reason, uh, you know, goes viral or, you know, if it means that your podcast becomes like a, you know, a, an even bigger hit. Would, would we be okay, okay with, with the podcast being a hit, Richard, if the perception of us was that we were boring? Would you personally, Scott, be okay? And you, Richard? If, if the perception of Richard is, a, is boring? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't I, think... I, I already, I already have imposter syndrome. So the answer to that is I already do think I'm bored. Um, I don't think I would, I don't, I don't think I would be okay with it. I don't know. I don't know that I would. And I also don't know that I don't know how that would happen because I can only be me and be my authentic self. And then people will tell me if they like me or not. Like that's, that's kind of it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's an interesting question. I like, it's a great question. I, I don't think, I don't think I could do it. I, I, 
Yeah. I don't I really, I really, I, re- I really, I really don't. I think <laughs> I would get discouraged if enough people were like, man, you're really boring. I think I would probably get discouraged. I'm just being honest. I, that's the opposite of what people would probably tell you. Don't give up. Don't quit. Da, 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 da. I just, <laughs> I just know me. I'd be like, I, I could do something else with my time that, that I would enjoy more and, and would be more. Lucrative. I don't know. I guess the question is how would it take off if people thought we were boring? Well, I don't know. Why no, was the no, one no. why was the one episode downloaded so much if it was dull? That's what he's getting at. Yeah, yeah. but that's just well, but, but I really just meant like one of you. Like let's say Richard, you were perceived as being boring and Scott was like the the charismatic one, or vice versa. Oh, like, let's say it was and Scott would take off on his own and leave me behind. No, I mean it's still surfing sales, you still do it together, but you're so just, this you is know. just a lead singer syndrome, Richard. Right. Yeah. Are you okay, are you okay being the drummer? Totally fine being the drummer. I probably get jealous a little bit, but I'm okay because I also there are times where my imposter syndrome kicks in. So, you know, I, look, Scott Lease is officially Steven Tyler as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm totally fine with that. I am not, and I don't, I don't need oh, to be Joe God. Perry. I can be the rhythm guitar guy. I'm okay being rhythm. So, you know, but Scott's definitely Joe is, is definitely like, Steven Tyler. What a great question. Good question, Jason. Yeah, that was good. Well done. Appreciate you spending some time with us, man. And and good luck in this new uh, director level role. And just know that we're here to help and support you in any way we can. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time on the Surf and Sales podcast. Yeah, if anybody wants to come in and do an episode like this, hit us up on LinkedIn. We'd be glad to, to do this one again.